Thank you for joining us on the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory Church, we're all about helping people win. And today's message is going to help you do just that. So, let's get started. How many of you are ready for the conclusion of this exciting message series we've been on? Have you enjoyed this? Uh, the series message or series has been You're in the Way. And today we're talking about the way of the worshiper, all right? We've talked about the way of the willing. We've talked about the way of the wanting. We've talked about the way of the winner. And today we're going to talk about the way of the worshiper, all right? Um, I'm, I'm really excited about this message. And I really think this is going to be a significant message for you. Just like last week, I felt like that was a life-changing message. Word, if you'll hear it and you'll begin to apply it to your life. But it's, it's significant to me how interesting it is how quickly people can dismiss the importance of worship and perceive it as being insignificant or an insignificant activity in their life, especially men. Now, don't shout me down just because I'm already in your business. All right, But it's amazing to me how oftentimes we dismiss the significance or the importance of worship to victory in our lives as followers of Christ. And that is particularly true of men. Women seem to uh, be more in touch with their feelings, more in touch with their emotional side. And so for them, oftentimes it's easier for them to enter into worship. It's more natural maybe for them. However, I personally believe that it is perhaps one of the most critical practices for daily victory in the lives of those of us who claim to be followers of Christ. Would you allow me to just show you some examples from the scriptures of people who were given to worship, given to expressions of worship, given, uh, given themselves as people who walked in the way of the worshiping. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is King David. King David was the second king selected by God to lead the nation of Israel. And he was a man much like us in a lot of different ways. He was, he was definitely not a perfect man. He had issues, right? How many of you remember Bathsheba? How many of you have ever heard of David and Bathsheba? Some of you may not have, and that's, that's possible, but David kind of had a thing for peeking over the edge at women who were taking showers outside. Today, you don't do it like that. You just go to your computer screen. Hello. But David had issues, like a lot of us have issues, but he was a man's man. He was a bloody warrior, the Rambo of his day. I mean, this guy was a killing machine. It was said of him that Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. One time, uh, in order to provide a dowry to King Saul for the privilege of marrying his daughter, Saul required of David 1,000 foreskins of the Philistine army. 
David promptly went out, killed 1,000 Philistines, and returned with their foreskins for the privilege of marrying Saul's daughter. Come on, who said the Bible was boring? Now, this, is, this is exciting stuff here. I mean, this is, this is yeah, it's incredible. But David was a mighty man of war. And yet at the same time, David was a passionate worshiper. He was a worshiper. He played the harp. And his music soothed the soul of his predecessor, King Saul. He personally influenced the largest book in our Bible, the book of Psalm. And he didn't write all of them, but his influence is felt in every chapter. See, David was a mighty warrior, yet he was also a passionate worshiper. And the New Testament describes him as a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. Then there is Paul, who was formerly Saul, No, not King Saul of the Old Testament. This is Saul of the New Testament, a persecutor of the early church. You just have to read this book. It's pretty exciting. Anyway, this Saul was consumed with finding people who were followers of the way in order to arrest them, torture them, and even stood by and watched as they stoned Stephen to death, a follower of Christ. Paul was no wimp. One day... God decided he could use a guy like Saul on his team. And so he went out and traded Judas for Saul. That was was kind of a humorous. Traded Judas. You got it? Okay, good. I just just wanted to make sure. Uh, But he had to sell Saul on his new team's philosophy which knocked Saul off his high horse and opened his eyes to a whole new world. Oh, sorry, that's a different story altogether. Back to Saul, all right, who became Paul. And after his encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, he became a preacher of the gospel, the gospel he once tried to destroy and ended up writing two-thirds of our New Testament. He was a tent maker by trade and an evangelist in his spare time. But there was something else very different and interesting about Paul. He was a worshiper. Do you remember the story I told you last week about Paul and his companion Silas who found themselves in jail, beaten, flogged, and chained up? Do you remember at midnight what they were doing? That's right. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And according to the scriptures, the other prisoners heard them. This was not silent praise. This, ladies and gentlemen, was crazy praise. I'm talking crazy praise. You've heard of crazy praise, haven't you? Crazy praise is the praise you give when it doesn't make sense. When life seems to be against you, when things aren't going your way, when you got the negative report, yet in the middle of your circumstance, you begin to lift up your voice to offer to God your praise, and you don't care who hears you. You don't care what you look like. 
and that crazy praise brought deliverance to their life. I wish I could get somebody in this place who could offer up some crazy praise in this place today because you got a praise in you that doesn't make sense. You're in the midst of a circumstance and yet you decide you're going to give God praise. See, that praise brought them deliverance out of their circumstance. Paul was a worshiper, and he knew what it was to offer to God praise even when it doesn't make sense. Can I talk to you for a minute about Jesus and his boys? Jesus chooses 12 dudes to be his disciples. They go everywhere with him. And on the night just before he was arrested, he's having his last supper with the boys in the upper room. Um, just as a note, when we were in Israel, we went to a place that was likened under the upper room that Jesus and his disciples would have eaten this last supper. It was a large room, but had open windows. In other words, the windows were just big open holes in the wall. There was no, there was no window on it. And so there was really no privacy. It was open down to the street. So anybody who was walking by would have heard perhaps what was going on in the upper room. Anyway, Jesus breaks bread with them. And then we find an interesting thing happens. Look, Look what it says in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When they had sung a hymn, they went out. Jesus and his disciples in the upper room and they're singing a hymn. I wonder which one it was. It was Amazing Grace or How Great Thou Art. It was probably a hymn of their day. Much like we sing hymns of our day today. Right? But Jesus and his disciples, I mean, we're talking Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. These guys are rugged fishermen. And yet, in the upper room, they're singing hymns. They're worshiping. Then we've got, we've got uh, James and John. Jesus named these two guys the sons of thunder. Kind of like the wheels of thunder. Only it's different. It's the sons of thunder. What are they doing in the upper room? They're worshiping. Jesus himself is worshiping, singing songs of worship, singing him. Why? Because these guys were worshipers. We've got to understand that worship is a significant part to victory in our lives as followers of Christ. So in light of these these things. Let me share with you three principles for the way of the worshiper, all right? These are three things that we all need to understand when it comes to to worship. Are you ready to take some notes? All right, here we go. Number one, worship is more than a song. Worship is more than a song. It involves the entirety of our being. Worship is more than a song. It includes the entirety of our being. You see, here's the truth. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. 
and for worship to truly be worship, all three of those elements of your life need to come together in honor and glory of the God that you're offering your worship to. See, Jesus said of the people of his day, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And how oftentimes are we guilty of just singing the words that are on the screen, but we never engage our hearts? We're going through the motions. We're singing the words. Our soul may be singing a song, but our spirit has never been engaged in connecting with God. We've never really engaged our our flesh to make it worship. Sometimes we, we don't even clap or we won't raise our hands or, or we, won't do, we, we don't in, engage our, our flesh in worship of God. But if it's going to be truly worship, it has to involve all three parts of our being because we are a spirit. We possess a soul and we live in a body. And for worship to be worship, we must give him our entire being. Psalm 103 and verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. All that is within me, everything that I've got, all my energy, all my strength, all my heart, all my soul, I want everything that is within me to offer him my worship. In David's description of worship in the Psalms, there are often references to not only singing, but clapping, lifting up our hands, dancing, kneeling. See, posture is an important part of our worship as well. How many of you have ever been in a conversation with someone who was saying something, but their posture was saying something else? Been married? <laughs> yeah, right? And so oftentimes we, we take no, we, we make no understanding of the importance of our posture. You ever been in a room where you're, you're speaking to people and you got people slagged down in their chair like this? I'm glad that doesn't happen here at Victory. I'm glad all you people sit up straight, back against the chair, feet flat on the floor. You got your notepad out. You're taking some notes. Why? Because posture makes a difference. Posture makes a difference in what you can receive. I'm preaching better than you responding, but that's okay, right? And so we need to understand that, that it's not just a song. It's not just the words. It, it, it's the entirety of our being. So when we come to worship, we want to give him our all. Amen? The second principle I want to share with you is this. Worship includes your resources and your finances. See, here's the truth. Giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, the tithe of all your increase. Honor the Lord. Honor him with it. In other words, worship God with your resources. Honor him with the first fruits, the tithe. Worship God with it. It says when we worship him that I trust you and I thank you for your faithfulness in my life. 
when we worship God with our giving, it's declaring to him our trustworthiness of him, how good he's been to us. And it's interesting that it's somewhat easy to worship with our song. But so many people really struggle when it comes to worshiping God with their wallet. You can sing a song, you can clap your hands, you can raise your hands, and that really doesn't cost you much. Maybe a little bit of your pride and ego, because other people may see what you're doing. But when you worship him with your giving, that costs you something. And it says to God, I trust you. You have been good to me. And you have been faithful to me. And I worship you with my giving. In 1 Chronicles 16, 29, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. What is due his name? Has he been good? Has he been faithful? Is he a great God? Then we need to ascribe to him the glory that is due his name, the weightiness that is due to him. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship him in the splendor of his holiness. Giving is an act of worship. And yet I have a growing concern. Can I, can I share my growing concern with us? It's so easy to miss the essence of worship in giving in our age of technology. So many things are done online these days, even our giving. We encourage it here. The problem is, is if you just get into the habit of giving, but you don't really worship with it, Are you worshiping him with your giving, but your heart is far from him? In other words, you're going through the motions, but you've never really attached your faith to your giving. When we give, we need to give as an act of worship. And our whole being needs to be involved. Our spirit our soul, and our body. So when you give, when you bring your tithe, however you do that, whether you do that online, whether you text it or whatever, make sure you take the time to stop and say, God, thank you. Thank you for your blessing in my life. Thank you for your faithfulness to my family. And I thank you and I trust you that you're going to provide everything we have need of in our household. And so we worship you with this gift. Because you're not just dropping something in the bucket. You're not just clicking a few buttons on your computer and hit and send. This is worship. And our giving is to be an expression of our worship to God. Amen?
Amen. Lastly, oh, we're doing really good today. I may even have you out of here early. Did you say no? Okay, I'll just keep going then. I'm glad. Okay, number, number three. Worship, ultimately, is an attitude. Worship, ultimately, is an attitude. See, ultimately, everything I do can be an act of worship when my attitude is to honor God with it. Ultimately, everything I do can be an act of worship when the intent is to honor God with it. So the way I treat people. The way I treat people can be an act of worship when the intent of the way I treat people is to bring honor to God. Right? The way I talk about people can be considered an act of worship when the intent of how I talk about them is to bring honor and glory to God. See, everything I do can be seen as an act of worship when the intent of what I'm doing is to bring glory to God. Have you ever stopped long enough to think, how can I bring glory to God today in my relationships, in how I treat people? Because it will change the way you treat people when the intent of how you treat them is to bring glory to God. Am I helping anyone today? Amen. All right. Amen. That's all right. You can clap. It's all right. You won't be thrown out, I promise. See, the way I work on the job can be an expression of worship when the intent of my work is to bring honor and glory to God. But how many of you have ever stopped to consider how am I as an employee... How is my work reflecting worship, glory, and honor to God? Are you to work on time? Do you give eight hours of work for eight hours of pay? Do you work as hard when the boss's eyes aren't on you as when they are? See, nothing changes in the way that we work, when we understand the way that I work is an expression of glory and honor to God, and I'm using my life as a representation of my worship to God. Therefore, I'm not going to give God less than what he's deserving of. I'm giving him my very, very best. Amen? See, even the way we participate in sports. Can I talk to some athletes here today? Right? What's your attitude when you step onto that field? Or when you step onto that diamond? Or when you step on the mat? Or when you step onto that court? What is your attitude? I've had the privilege over the years of participating in a great event called church softball. 
The only problem is sometimes it's not very much like church. Sometimes the venom that comes out just in a simple game of competition, I'm going, really? You see, the truth of the matter is that used to be me. Don't, don't shout me down just because I'm, I'm talking here. I'm exposing myself. I'm, I'm being vulnerable here today. But you know, I used to just go crazy if things didn't go perfectly my way on the field. And I had some encounters with Jesus along the way. They said, you can't act like that. Those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't care if they carry another denominational tag on their life. They're still your brothers and sisters. You need to treat them right. You need to relate to them correctly. And it changed the entire way I approached the game. I still play to win. Because I'm a winner. And I'm going to win. But you see, the attitude's different now in that if I don't, I'm okay. I can still love them. I can still love my teammates. Even the one who dropped the ball. Right? Why? Because the intent of participating in this activity is to bring glory and honor to God. And how does that change our the way we approach the game on the field? Anybody see the Cleveland Pittsburgh game this week? <clears throat> I, I'm sorry, John, I didn't mean to, you know, at least it wasn't your guy, right? Unless the one that was kicking him in the head, you know, but. What, what would happen if, or, or just, just looking at those who are followers of Christ in the game of football and those who aren't, how does it change the way we view the game? Ultimately, it's for the glory of God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, anybody here receive God's mercy? To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Therefore, everything that I do in this body can be an act of worship when I offer it to God as a living sacrifice. Something that's holy and pleasing to Him. Think about the areas of your life. And how can I use what happens in this body to bring honor and glory to God? Single people, in your relationships with other single people, especially male, female, how am I using my body to bring honor and glory to God? It will change the way you view your relationship. Because I cannot honor God with my body when I'm violating theirs. Right? Is this okay? Am I getting a little too personal? I don't know. Okay, thank you. That's all right. You can, you'll deal with it, right? Uh, so, everything when it's given with an attitude of honor 
in order to glorify God can be viewed as an act of worship. Now, here's the deal. Worship team, you can, you can begin to come because I'm almost done. Why is worship so important to my life? And why can it be so important to your life? Let me give you three things. Number one, because it's like a seed sown. And a seed sown always reaps a harvest. Worship is like a seed sown. And a seed sown always has a harvest. I have never engaged God with my whole being in worship and received less than what I gave. Never. I have never engaged God with my whole being in worship and not received more than what I gave. His presence, his love, his grace on my life is always greater. He's never failed me whenever I've given myself to him. I've never given an offering or a tithe and not gotten back more than what I've given. I never have. I've never given a single offering, never given a single tithe when I did not receive back more than what I gave. Anybody here have a crawl space or an attic? I was in my crawl space the other day and I had to crawl because I was weaving in and out of stuff. So where did all this stuff come from? There's stuff in my crawl space I haven't looked at in probably five years. Ronnie was describing Jimmy's closet before his memorial service, how that everything is on a hanger, it's evenly spaced. I'm thinking, that's kind of like my closet. Everything's on a hanger and it's evenly spaced. I got so much clothes in there, I don't know how to get more clothes in. We don't lack for anything. Oh, sure, there's some stuff we'd probably want, but we don't lack for nothing. I've never given to God and not gotten back more than what I gave. I've never given something to God in an attitude of worship that has not returned to me blessed and abounding. You see, when I love my wife, I thought she was there. Oh, she's over there. She's hiding. Whenever I've loved my wife the way Christ loves the church, as an expression of honor and worship to God, I always get back more than what I gave. Worship's like a seed. And when it's sown, it always returns in a harvest. Number two, because an act of worship ushers me into the presence of God. It really does. This is a biblical promise, and it has never failed God inhabits the praises of his people. Psalm 22 and 3. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Psalm 104. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. James chapter 4 verse 8. It's a promise that when you worship him, it will usher you into the presence of the Lord. Your relationships will have the presence of the Lord on them. When the purpose of that relationship is to bring honor and glory 
to the name of God. Hmm. Lastly, because worship always refocuses me on my faith and trust in, in God. And I cannot successfully navigate this life without faith. As I mentioned in the way of the winter, my vocabulary is very important for my daily victory. And even when things are challenging, my worship reminds me that God's got this. It refocuses me. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Habakkuk wrote, Though the fig tree does not bud, Though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop may fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, this guy's having a bad day. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I'm talking about crazy praise. I'm talking about, I'm talking about when it doesn't make sense, I'm still going to honor God. When things don't look like it's going for me, I'm still going to give God the worship he deserves because I am a worshiper. Worship is like a seed sown and every seed sown comes back in a harvest. Praise and worship ushers me into the presence of God. You want more God's presence in your life? Come on, become a worshiper. Let that worship be a reminder to you at all times. God's got this. And my trust is in him. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope this message has strengthened and encouraged you. Join us again next week for another great podcast with Victory Church where we're helping people win.